When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So today was the day that I put the heating on for the first time. And uh, I, as I was doing that, I was thinking, I bet they blooming wish they could do the same in Paris today, just sort of around the whole of the, what is it, the 16th arrondissement, uh, where they hold Roland Garros, because it looked so unbelievably miserable there today. I felt for everybody that wasn't scheduled on the Philippe Chatrier court, because even though actually... You know, as I watch it now, at it's seven forty in the UK, eight forty French time, and tennis is happening, and it looks pretty dry on the outside courts. And they have done a pretty good job of getting matches played. I mean, just the sitting around and waiting, and the just everything looked just grim today. <laughs> so grim. There were quite a lot of. I saw two separate uh, Fifty Shades of Grey gags on Twitter, people posting pictures of Roland Garros with the concrete and the grey skies and the drizzly rain captioned Fifty Shades of Grey. One of those gags, unexpectedly, David, was from your colleague Russell Fuller. I know, I was most proud of him. Um, I'm sitting here in my coat uh, uh, in the BBC studio that I've just given Catherine and Matt a tour of, a virtual tour of the Strictly Come Dancing BBC production room where we also happen to have our three TVs with tennis matches on. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, I asked him to do a, a waltzing tour and he I had refused. a go, didn't I? No, come you on, I had a go. Not, you did not have a go, well, David. She, Matt, I was doing it. She just didn't know. It just I didn't mean, look like a waltz, yeah. <laughs> If it was a Viennese waltz, it would have been Rise and Fall. That's what I've learned from yes. watching Strictly all these years. Yes, 20 years ago, I went to Vienna uh, to go to a ball and it didn't go very well. Hang on, what, what was this former life you lived? Was this around <laughs> the time that you were living in Monte Carlo, David? It's before was this that. how you no, rolled? No, it was during, during, yeah. It was just a, yeah. Went off to Vienna, 1999. Okay. Well, the next time tennis gets suspended, we'll do a podcast on that, (laughs) shall we? (laughs) Speaking of the weather, they have done an incredible job to still be on time in this tournament. I mean, they've had rain every day, rain delays every day, and yet we seem to be perfectly on time and everything is proceeding kind of as planned. It's because, Matt, despite all protestations to the contrary, it is a tournament with night sessions. Yeah. Imagine what you can do with lights and a room. (laughs) Yeah, true. I mean, they would have been up the creek without a paddle, wouldn't they? If they hadn't had night sessions without admitting to have night sessions. I mean, thank goodness they have, but call a spade a spade. These are not, I'm watching night session tennis right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure the players are all very grateful for it. Even the matches on Chattery, I'm sure everybody that was scheduled there was very grateful for it. But goodness me, there was a a weird feel on Chattery today wasn't there that first match of the day between Dominic Team and and Casper Ruud I know it started at 11am um local time but it they well Dominic Team looked like he'd just got out of bed to me he looked really, <laughs> really dazed did. dazed and confused <laughs> that the the 700 or 1000 but it's a thousand crowd but 250 of those are sponsor guests so but very few of those 
fans had had arrived really for that first match of the day um the rain was pelting down on the roof so the acoustics were incredibly eerie the whole thing was i sound like a broken record now but it was really weird thing thing is I, because of what happened later in the afternoon, I've slightly forgotten about what it was like in those first few hours. We'll start with those first few hours, but the afternoon became great in all the matches I didn't expect it to be. Mm. Um, but but the I did think actually at, at eleven o'clock France time when I was looking at Dominic team, I thought I could be looking at Catherine right now. <laughs> I mean, he looks he looks grumpy. He looks as though he's he's not having it, and I'm not sure how this is going to go. And and then the next thing you know, he sorts himself out and he starts playing gloriously, just in the nick of time. Another example, though, of a match where I think he could have uh, got into a heck of a lot stickier situation just a year ago. And yeah. certainly two years ago, because Kasparud was really, really good today. Matt made the brilliantly astute observation on uh, our WhatsApp chat. He said he's playing really well. He's winning a lot of points. He's just re- winning the wrong points. Um, and it, yeah, I kept on looking up and seeing him playing really well and just not getting ahead in the score. Um, but team team was was flat in that first set, really, really flat. And he never really hit full gear in terms of intensity. And yet he still won in straight sets. And that's a real significant marker, I think, for Dominic team. Yeah, it's a demonstration of just how good he is on a clay court, that he was up against one of the most informed clay quarters in the world at the moment, playing really, really well. And for certainly for two sets, team didn't need to play anywhere close to his best. And he still kept him at arm's length and managed to win those sets. And then in that third set, I thought team really did hit the accelerator and begin to play very, very well in that third set. So, so confident, just hitting the ball with such power. And he was, he was just too much for Kasper to handle. He kind of broke his spirit a little bit by the end of the match, I thought, um, but Rude will be really kicking himself, I think, for that first set. As you said, team was sloppy at the start. And I think Rude had break points in, in all of team's service games in that first set, maybe bar one. And he only managed to break once. And it was one of those sets where he could have been five one up and he was actually at three all. So he just didn't take his chances, which is what I meant about winning the wrong points. And then that was epitomized in the second set when he had an incredible tween a lob onto the baseline set up two break points and then didn't take them so the tween a lob kind of became a little bit irrelevant so he played he played very well but he just didn't play very well in the right moments and Dominic team did what he's been doing for a while now and just very convincingly beating beating a good opponent two two things that occurred to me in that first set one is that Rude's game style seemed to be causing team problems with the ex- the extreme topspin and it, and the depth was pushing team even further back than he wanted to. I know he starts far back, but there were not many opportunities for him to to move forward and actually start to take over. And it was it was kind of like almost the reverse of what you see Nadal do to Federer, for instance. Uh, just different hands, obviously, but it it had a similar feel at the start to that for me as you said once the match really once he edged the first set and I think I think you're right Catherine he just his professionalism now his maturity helped him to win that set but then he then he just hit the zone in that third set he started to enjoy his own form and you could see (laughs) the stress just ebbed away and Rude looked like Dominic team from five years ago I think that they f- they look very alike, uh, similar stature physically. C- could and you see him on the same trajectory? I don't know. I think that that's impossible to say because I, I would I would probably say I'd be surprised by that because because of team's ability to produce the spectacular. Now that he's added consistency to that spectacular nature and ability that he still has, I'm not sure that Rude has that. Rude may end up being more like a Borna Chorich or, you know, someone who's a grinder, who's really 
always there. I think he'll be better than Borna Tween Cioric. a lob, David. Tween no, a lob. No, I mean, that was fantastic. But he, do, but at the moment, his his power is a, a heavy power. I don't find it whiplash power, mm. which, which team has, and which we probably first saw in that US Open match against Nadal to an extent where you where you just you take your breath is taken away. But that match against Nadal was a bit of a one off. Now it feels like that's the dominant team he brings every time he plays the sport. And if anybody listening that hasn't been able to, to pay close attention to the results today is now rubbing their hands together and thinking, well few, yes, Dominic team against Stan Wawrinka is going to happen. Um well you'd be wrong because Stan Wawrinka has prevented that from happening, or rather Hugo Gaston uh, of France, the last Frenchman standing, is is still standing. He has beaten Stan Wawrinka in five sets, six love in the fifth for Hugo Gaston, who in all honesty I hadn't heard of before this tournament. He hadn't won a tour-level match before this tournament. He hadn't even reached a challenger final. His best result in the challenger tour was reaching a semi-final. Uh, he's the world number 239. He's um, 20 years old. And maybe I haven't been paying close enough t- attention to who the, the French media have been hyping in terms of their their youngsters. And they usually have a a fairly deep pool to to choose from who to hype. You know, I've I've heard a lot about Corentin Moutet. I remember hearing a lot a few years ago about Quentin Alice, and he seems to be in a bit of an abyss at the moment. I haven't heard anything about Hugo Gaston, and here he is debuting on the tour and into the second week of a Grand Slam, having beaten former finalist, uh, former champion rather, and very much in form, albeit perhaps not today. Stan Wawrinka. It's just an incredible story. Yeah, it really is. And it's not even like some of those decent challenger results he's had have come particularly recently. I was looking to think maybe he was in brilliant form just before the French Open. He played four challenges on the clay and didn't get past the first round in any of them. And in one of those challenges, he lost in qualifying. So this is this has completely come from nowhere. He's got a wild card into the draw. And it's something I love about slams always, discovering someone. But I've... I don't think I've ever been so taken aback by someone's playing style as Hugo Gaston. I mean, he he was just an absolute natural. David, you were commentating a little bit on that match on the radio and and I think you put your finger on what made him so good in this match and so fun to watch. It was his anticipation. He just seemed to be reading what Stan Wawrinka was doing on the court. He was just a step ahead of Wawrinka all the time. He's got an incredible touch, lovely hands... He really takes his backhand early. He was almost sabering the Wawrinka serve at times. Um, he was a he was an absolute revelation, I thought. And as much as Wawrinka wasn't at his best, clearly, because I think if he was, he would have too much for Gaston, like he probably did in that first set when he kind of crushed him. I give so much credit to Gaston for disrupting Wawrinka and really defending and getting balls back because I thought Wawrinka was going to be able to completely hit through this court. But once Gaston really started defending and making it difficult for him, the errors started to come from Wawrinka. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was an incredible performance and it felt like everyone in the stadium was discovering him at the same time. And that there was this lovely special feeling about the match in that sense. And as much as I'm disappointed that we're not getting... Team Wawrinka, this was a moment to savour and enjoy in itself as well. It's a proper Grand Slam story, isn't it? How many of the the 1,000 fans were out there supporting Hugo Gaston? Because there was a, some overlap, wasn't there, with, with Caroline Garcia's match against Elise Mertens, which sort of split the French... French support. Yeah. Was it atmospheric, the, the Gaston Wawrinka well, I mean, match? Oh, yeah. There, and there was a two-hour intermission wasn't it where where the the rain intervened and so the the match I don't know whether it overlapped that much with Garcia it certainly overlapped with Nadal didn't it the latter stages of it um I can't I I thought maybe the Garcia match took place when it was raining during that particular I I think mostly it did yeah I just wasn't sure whether there was a a slight overlap and the, the thing is you know when you were talking about the, the 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 how miserable elements of the day were and they were 
my my abiding memory is is those two matches, the Garcia match, which we'll come on to later, and this one, because it was there was an atmosphere, and it was. I felt quite emotional by the at the end of this five set victory for for Gaston, um, partly because of uh, as Matt was saying the way he was playing, the way he was reading Vavrinka's game, and I mean it was slightly sad in a way because he at, t- at times I started to think he's making Vavrinka look a little bit old here. There's 15 years between them, and we'd been we'd been sort of looking ahead on five live to, to what would happen if Vavrinka plays team. And I just said, uh, I think that team is now where Vavrinka was five years ago. Uh, he's at his, he's approaching his peak and I can imagine him winning this title. I, I think that at some point Vavrinka is going to become old on the court. Um, and he still looks really good. He's, he was great against Murray the other day, but may, maybe that is going to be shown up a bit here uh, by this, this young lad. And when he won it, and, and let's not forget, he's play, he'd never played a five-set match in his whole career, and he's playing a guy who's played 51 of them. So going into that fifth set, I'm thinking Vavrinka's taken over now. I'm really thinking that. And, and he won it six-love, this young lad. And, I mean, I think it's, they're, both, they're partially responsible for that, both of them. Um, but the emotion on Gaston's face at the end will stay with me. Because we saw close-ups of it, we saw close-ups of it, and I, and to give you an idea of how unknown this lad is, I don't know if the guy in the crowd who was crying was his dad or his coach. <laughs> I have no; it might be the same person. I don't know who it was, but it made me feel pretty emotional. And and the crowd reaction to a home player, and it was the same with Garcia, rising and singing and being a crowd even though there was only a, th- a, th- a thousand of them and less than that because they were divided between courts, was really special, really special. He said uh, after the match on the court, I think, this is a dream, absolutely incredible. I just tried to play my game and somehow I won. Everything went well, thanks to these guys pointing to the crowd. In two days' time, I'm playing team and I've got nothing to lose, which is a, a lovely attitude. Hey, I love that. He knew who was next in the in the draw, um, and I and I love that he's already thinking. Well, I just get to go into that and and do what I do and see what happens. He's only five foot eight. I, I wasn't, mm. co- you know, considering. I think Diego Schwartzman is five foot seven, and it's the first thing anybody says about him is his height. And we've had probably about five minutes of discussion about Hugo Gaston now without mentioning his height is five foot eight the threshold of it being not remarkable no I just don't believe that Diego Schwartzman (laughs) is five foot seven (laughs) (laughs) what height is this like Alex de Menor being six foot yeah yeah it's it's he's not five foot seven (laughs) he's five foot four isn't he He's closer to five foot four, yeah. Um, but I mean, Gaston is small. But the first thing I noticed about him is he doesn't he doesn't bounce the ball before he serves. I mean, it's just it's completely out that. of the ordinary. I'm really and into that. Yeah, it, re- it really makes him stand out. He just gets on with it, and he, in the same way that Schwartzman is able to end up kind of using using the absolute best of what he has with with that incredible foot speed. I think Gaston today certainly made up for his stature by like I said taking the ball early and not letting it bounce so high and oh he was he was an absolute absolute delight to watch I thought with all due respect to his chances against Dominic team how big a break is this for team that he doesn't have to play Wawrinka I I know he would be the favorite in that match even with Wawrinka playing how he how he was playing prior to today but you'd have thought even a win, probably even a straight set to win, would have been physical and it would have taken something out of him physically and, and mentally. How big a break is this for him? I think it's a big break. Um, and I think I would have expected Vavrinka to, to roll this guy in straight sets. I mean, didn't he win the first set 6-2? He was flying. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I would have expected him to wipe him off the court, come into that match fresh, and then have a Sitsipas Vavrinka-type match from last year. Oh, which... Don't... Don't tease I, I, me. I think team would have won, but at some point, even him, even he would have hit the wall at some point. And now I think the fact that 
team. And I think the, the match he won a couple of days ago was really big because he won that third set against Jack Sock when he was two set points down. He just hasn't had to overextend himself in matches where he very nearly could have done. And today's another example of that. Now he gets to play Gaston. I, I would expect him to win in straight sets. Um, so he has a chance now. There's a path opening up for him to face most likely Nadal in the semis fresh or as fresh as he can be given he's obviously played the US Open. Nadal won one four and love over Stefano Travaglia today. Was that every bit as one-sided as that scoreline suggests? Sets one and three were. Set two is brilliant. Yeah, yeah he, he just decided to go for it in the second set, didn't he? Um, and he and he did cause Nadal some problems. Um, not really on Nadal's serve, though. Nadal was never really in trouble. He's never behind in, in the scoreline in that sense. But I just think this is progressing exactly as Nadal would have wished in this tournament. Each each round he's getting a little bit better, he's getting a little bit stronger, and he's winning a little bit more comfortably. Um and I think you were having a bit of a debate on the on the radio, David, about whether it's good that Nadal's having these easy matches or whether he needs a test. And I, I certainly think through the first few rounds, it's it's important that he just gets through them and gets the matches and builds his confidence like he is doing. So it's been kind of perfect so far. But I, my mind does go back to the 2019 Australian Open. That was kind of the last slam that Nadal entered without many matches. Yeah. And he absolutely breezed through to the final. And then he ran into, admittedly, Djokovic playing fantastic tennis on his probably his favourite court in the world. And he got absolutely thumped in that final. And he said something so interesting afterwards that's always stayed with me about how he didn't think he'd been pushed enough to be able to play defence against the best players in the world. I'm just starting to wonder whether Nadal does need a little bit of a test before he gets to team, probably in the semis, and then possibly Djokovic in the final. I don't think he's going to want to go into those matches having, having for example, not had to try out his defence. Now, obviously, the caveat to all that is this is clay, it's Roland Garros, it's not the same as the Australian Open, but... It's just it's just in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about these matches that Nadal's having. That is that's really interesting. His his next matchup is against uh, Sebastian Corda, son of Peter Corda, the former finalist at the French Open. He was beaten by Jim Courier, I think. Um, mm. I, I wouldn't have known that before tennis relived, or I certainly wouldn't have been able to reel it off off the top of my head. Um, and uh, a photo has emerged today on social media this evening after Corder's uh, victory. Uh, he beat uh, P. Martinez. Pedro. Pedro, that's the badger. Um, he beat Pedro Martinez today. And uh, he has a cat named Rafa. And he, he posted uh, a pic, or somebody posted a, a, it was a picture from a while ago that he had posted of himself uh, lounging with Rafa the cat um, and that's been circulating on social media tonight and some very eagle-eyed people have zoomed in on the background of that picture because it's taken in his bedroom I think and there is very clearly an entire wall of photos <laughs> of Corda with I don't know if they're all of him with Nadal but certainly one certainly at least one is a photo <laughs> of him as a kid with Rafael Nadal um, and I think there's others, various other photos of him with tennis players. But it's sort of like a shrine-type situation. <laughs> uh, which is, is Nadal going to be ruthless against a bloke who owns a cat named after him? I was going to say, mean, how does all say... this make you feel about Corder's chances against Nadal? It's, it's not making me feel great. <laughs> but I do remember Goffin playing Federer, I think, in the same round at the French Open in the fourth round a few years ago. And that was a kind of idle situation as well. And Goffin played really, really, really well in that match. And didn't they do a joint on-court interview afterwards, I think, once Federer had beaten him? And I don't know, I wonder whether it might be a similar situation. I think Corder's going to play quite well, but I think Nadal will, will end up beating him quite, quite easily. I always worry about this kind of situation. I remember... Uh, when Shapovalov, I think it was after he beat TFO in Miami last year, mm. and he was he knew that that meant he got to play Federer for the first time, and it, I mean that 
match, that win over TFO was amazing. Uh, but in his on-court interview, he just he just fanboyed massively about the fact that he got to play Federer. And it was sweet and endearing. But I instantly wrote Federer's name into the draw um, at that <laughs> I'm moment. Very, I'm very, I mean, I, look, I haven't seen Corda play that much. But I'm very impressed the fact that he's this early in his career and he's already making straightforward progress to the, the fourth round. I mean, he beat tennis. Did he beat tennis Sangren? Uh, I can't exactly remember who. No, he it wasn't him. He's beaten, beaten, he he's beat beaten Sepi and Isner. Mm. Sepi and Isner. I mean, mm. that is a and, really and good Two very different wins. tests there yeah. as well. And I always think Sepi is, okay, now he's reaching the twilight of his career. But in fact, both of those two, actually, I always think those are real tests of yeah. mm. young players. They're kind of, their their rites of passage. I remember that year that Kyrgios beat uh, Federer at, 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 in Madrid. He'd beat Guido Pella in the first round. Or was that the Federer year? Or and then he beat. Oh no, that was when he set up the rematch with Stan Wawrinka, uh, and it was an interview about that that resulted in him spitting out Guido Pella's name. Uh, and then he had to play John Isner, and 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 he was riding high on having beaten Wawrinka. And everyone was suddenly talking about him. He's cracked clay, blah blah blah. And then he loses to to John Isner in the next round. Yeah, I, I, those are, those are victories you can't cheat, really. Um, and the, yeah, I mean, he's going to lose to Nadal, though. Obviously, I've, I've no <laughs> idea whether Sebastian Corda is like his father, but I, I knew his, I, I knew he his dad. Certainly, bloody looks like him. I, I was on the tour when. Um, when uh, Corder was in his latter days uh, and I also spent time with him when he was on the Champions Tour and he's a quirky character, Peter Corder. He's, he, he is, he's, he's not your average chap and, <laughs> but he believes Is that how you describe me to people, David? Various ways. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to read into the subtext of your words. No, I was going to no. say you would be a bit vexed if David called you an average chap. <laughs> <laughs> or I said, not, not your, your average, average chap. chap. <laughs> See, yeah. I I I'm trying to read. There's something. I'm, there are lines to be read between here, no. <laughs> and I'm trying to establish. What, um, but I just, I just wonder whether if, whether Sebastian Corder may just come out onto court and love it. You know, and really go for it and really show what he's got. And I don't even know what he's got because I haven't seen him play much yet. <laughs> but I'm very, very interested to find out. J- just on the Dow quickly, um, the, the second set I think he would have got a lot out of. That he was pushed, he had to react to aggressive play. And then at the end, when he, he hit the winning volley, he leapt into the air and punched the air. Mm. And it was really, it, it was excitement at his own form which I haven't seen in the first two rounds. It was similarly one-sided, but he was pumped because he, he found something today that he hadn't had in those other two rounds. Assuming that Seb Corder, apparently that's what we're calling him. Is it? Uh, oh, okay. Well, it's what Jim Courier was calling him. So I'd, I don't know. I'm obviously doing that thing where I'm I'm sort of alternating between between names because I'm not, not quite sure. Uh, Assuming Sebastian Corder doesn't provide the test that Matt's referring to, um, awaiting in the quarterfinals would be either Alexander Zverev, who, as I speak, is two sets and five two up on Cecinato, and he's done well there because Cecinato served for the second set and Zverev put his foot down and asserted his authority on the match, um, or Yannick Sinner, who once again today has won through in straight sets. Okay, over Federico Correa, but he hasn't dropped a set yet, Yannick Sinner. He's he's definitely happening. Um, and yeah, Sinner against Verev, for starters, I'm, I'm definitely up for. And the winner of that to face, most likely Nadal. Could that be the test? I would have thought that Zverev would give Nadal a good match. I don't necessarily think he will give him... I don't nec- I'd don't. i be surprised if he took a set, personally. But I would expect at least one or two tight sets. Sinner? Sinner, I'd be surprised if he would get close. But, but he is a spectacular hitter of a tennis ball on both sides. And, and I would imagine that Riccardo Piatti would probably send him out to just fire away. Bombs away. You D- know. Does he have any other modes other than bombs away? 
Well, I mean that does to, that's where he's most happy, isn't it? Uh, and I think he would. The, it's it's a bit like when young Andy Murray would face Nadal. It simplifies matters. If you know you can't win any other way, you just you just go for that. Trust in it. I, I just don't think you can. I don't know. Where, I don't think you can hit through Nadal like that unless you're a seasoned player. The only one I think. Well, the only, I mean. Djokovic as well, but he doesn't hit people off the court. He moves with them and, and carves them up that way, doesn't he? The only one I could even imagine hitting him off the court is team. Mm. Okay, well, no test for Nadal then. <laughs> Until the semis when he plays team. Good luck with that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Moving on to the uh, the women's matches today. Should we start with Caroline Garcia and Elise Mertens? Because it was... It was clearly the event of the day. It was it was one of those Grand Slam moments where every single eye, other than people that are having to play matches on other courts, every single eye is in one place. And that's such that that feeling of community and unity is so much of what Grand Slam tennis and tennis fandom is all about. And it 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 was such a rush. It felt like it felt like something being fed into my veins today, watching that. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was a it was an absolute cracker of a match. And all one thousand or however many it was, seven hundred and fifty people on the Chateau Court made themselves heard. Um, and you were you were feeling everything that Caroline Garcia was feeling. Watching her try to get over the line was an absolute ordeal, but a very relatable ordeal. And it was. It was high quality tennis. It was kind of ticked every box that you wanted it to tick. It was kind of two matches in one because it began as a as a kind of slightly disappointing event because it was kind of a Mertens clinic in the first set. She just won it six one, and Garcia was spraying the ball and making a, a lot of errors. And honestly, at that stage, I felt like it was going to follow the pattern of the first couple of matches of the day that we'd had on the Philippe Chetre court and uh, not be that competitive. I didn't see that, Matt. I just rocked up when uh, when things got interesting. <laughs> That's how I rolled. It, it, I did. I mean, it felt like it was going to be ugly, didn't it? It felt like, yeah, it, it, was felt like it was going to be one of those horribly awkward Caroline Garcia moments where you just want the ground to swallow her up so she doesn't have to go through the ordeal anymore. That's That's how the first half an hour felt. Yeah, and then I don't know what inspired her to suddenly start playing like we know she can, but something The crowd? Did. 
possibly the crowd, but they were there in the first set as well. And I don't know, something just clicked for her in that second set. Maybe it was the urgency of being behind and realising she had to just go for it a little bit more. And she certainly increased her intensity a lot. And I think what impressed me most, or two things, was that in both the sets she won, she had a break and got broken back. And there was a there was a opportunity there for it to spiral out of control. Mertens is is so, so solid. You really have to beat Mertens. And Garcia didn't let those moments get to her. In fact, she ups her game both times she was broken back. And then the other thing that impressed me was that I think everyone in the stadium knew and Caroline Garcia knew that what, when she was ahead in that final set, a wobble was surely <laughs> coming. It was kind of what made it so compelling it because you the- knew that it was the elephant in the Ch- in the Chateau Stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. You could feel the presence of the wobble before it was even there, <laughs> yeah. and and it came. And yet she still managed to come through it. I think it took her six match points, but on the first few of those match points, she didn't do too much wrong. Mertens Mertens went for it and hit winners. There was there was a there was a double fault on one of the match points, I think, but she held it together, came through, and then, as you've both said, having the fans in the stadium all invested in this match just made such a difference. And when Garcia did her trademark celebration, it was just a real moment to savour. She's one of those players who you end up caring about in a match, whether she's going through turmoil and it's, you can cry with her in a way, uh, or when she's successful, you're, you're pulling for her. You're with her every step of the way. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I like I like Elise Mertens, but she's an opponent to me. She's a, she's a foil for somebody. Um, she's rarely the story, um, and I know that sounds quite mean, but it's just it. Uh, she's had a, having a fantastically consistent career, and she always gets to her seeding position. But I never really expect her to go beyond it. Uh, whereas. Caroline Garcia is ranked 45 in the world. She shouldn't be anywhere near that low. But there's a feeling that there's inspiration in her. And if things go well, she can ride a wave. And whether it's the crowd or whatever it is, things things can happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, I found it really uplifting again because we had the crowd noise and it was just one big celebration, really. It's great. Mm. She faces... Uh... Svitolina now, who got the better of um, uh, Alexandrova in uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova in straight sets earlier on today, which is definitely not what I predicted would happen. Thank you, Alexandrova, for that. Uh, and Svitolina, she's quite she, she's better than Elise Mertens, but it is a similar kind of a, opponent, isn't it? She she's not. The one she's not going to be the playmaker. She's not going to impose herself. She is the opponent. She's the opponent that always needs beating. Um, but I, that match is going to be on Garcia's racket. If she can find the level that she found in those second two sets today, that's winnable for her. I think. And, and with all some... due respect for Svitolina, I, th- I think it would be great for the tournament if she could keep having moments like she did today. Yeah. Yeah, at this event for sure. Uh, and I commentated on one of the one of the great matches that I've had the chance to at least commentate on TV was Svitolina against Garcia at Singapore, and that was two and a half hours. It was magical, and and Garcia at the end of the first set was crying on the court. She was in tears, and by the end of it, she'd she'd somehow managed to get herself out of that and win the match. Um, and a couple of weeks earlier, they'd, they'd had a, a three-hour, 21-minute match in Beijing when Garcia in was on that incredible run. Yeah, when Garcia was was finding a way to qualify when she knew she had to win back-to-back Wuhan and Beijing in order to get to Singapore. I remember watching that and there was absolutely nobody watching. That's it, yeah. And at the yeah. time that I felt, oh my God, how extraordinary that a match of this quality could have absolutely nobody watching. I was up in arms about it. And <laughs> now here we are. <laughs> ah, 2020. Um, is it, I mean, it's one of those matches that I'm obviously about to jinx, but it it feels pretty nailed on to be good, that match, I think. 
Oh, everyone's looking at me with disdain. Like well, you, you did it. You did it. You went there. You've ruined it. Matt and I saw the first set of her against Mertens, <laughs> and the, the, <laughs> the problem is, yeah. I mean, oh look, yeah, Mertens was fantastic. Now, to, to, uh, I always feel a bit bad for certain for the for the really good player when when there's a one sided set, and we'll come on to somebody else who had a one sided <laughs> couple of sets in a minute. Um, but uh, you know, the, there is a chance that Svitolina just plays lockdown tennis. Oh, Am I allowed God, to say that in twenty twenty? Oh, uh, locks down. Doesn't let anything pass her. And Garcia implodes. That is perfectly possible. Um, mm. So I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that they have a, a right old ding dong the way they have the last two matches. So we're we're going to go there now, David. You've led me there. What, what what did you go for for your prediction today, David? Well, I just decided that there was every chance that Amanda Anisimova would do to Amanda Hallett what she did a year ago, but she didn't. She lost six love six one. Let's move on. <laughs> How how good was Halep today? I thought she was just just unreal. Yeah. Well, she was quite literally finger wagging good because she she did a finger wag at the end of the match and it felt very purposeful. You know, kind of like okay, she beat me on this court last year. I'm I've just made sure that was definitely not happening again today. I really think that match was in Halep's mind. Maybe maybe she she'd. Comp- uh... Heard our chat on the podcast last night about iconic Roland Garros finger wags. <laughs> I thought, I want some of that action. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's got to be that. <laughs> Early on, I think Halep broke in the first game and then Anisimova had five break points in the second game of the match. And, you know, in hindsight, I think that was completely key because in that game, you could see that Anisimova did have the smooth, effortless power to kind of cause Halep some problems because she was able to hit through her a bit. But as soon as she didn't take those break points, her head dropped, I must say, and it became it became awkward and um, just disappointing, kind of just, just how one-sided it was. And as you said, David, I always feel kind of bad about that because Halep was, was so great. She was doing absolutely everything that makes her probably the best clay quarter that there is at the moment, stepping up, taking time away from Anisimova, moving brilliantly. That was all there, but it was you couldn't ignore what was going on down the other end of the court. And Anisimova, unfortunately, was, was spraying the ball and making a lot of errors. And as soon as Haddock won that game, it was, it was never close yeah. again, unfortunately. Because even when she was five love down, she'd hit twice the number of winners that Halep had. Um, hmm. but the thing is it was a, another one where she's winning the wrong points but she never settled even after those first two games she was shaking her head when she made an error um, she was she was also there were some moments where she was manipulating her knee with her thumb and I wondered whether that was causing some problems and if not I, I'm almost more concerned for her than if she was injured because her movement was really exposed against Halep. Now, Halep is the best mover in, in, in one of the best movers in tennis. But when they got beyond five, six shots and were going side to side, Halep totally exposed the movement of, of Anisimova, who looked pretty ponderous getting to the ball. Now, Commentating with me was Judy Murray and, and Naomi Cavaday on the match. And and they felt actually, and Ju- Judy actually felt she needs to work harder getting to these balls. She needs to actually focus on improving her movement because her shots are there, like you said, Matt, smooth power. It's just a joy to hear the sound the ball makes off her racket and what it can do. But, you know you would expect she would be able to work on her movement and improve that. And, and, and also just her, her attitude. She, she wasn't tuned in in the right way. I do just wonder um, whether that match last year was playing on both their minds significantly today for very, very different reasons. I, I remember I commentated for, for Five Live actually um, – the match between Steve Johnson and Marin Cilic at Wimbledon a couple of years ago, um, when Steve Johnson broke down in tears at uh, at one of the sit downs um, because his his father had died um, just a, a few weeks before, and 
he was playing on, I think it was court number one that day, but the previous year he had played Roger Federer on centre court of Wimbledon and his father had been there and it was, it felt like the pinnacle of his career. I think it was the fourth round actually. And, uh, and it, it was just this, you know, playing Roger Federer at Wimbledon, that's the sort of thing you dream about as a kid and his father had been instrumental in his career and it was being out there on a show called at Wimbledon a year later it was so vivid to him that this time last year his father had been there with him and it it made the grief so acute that he couldn't he couldn't contain it now I don't know if that's what happened to Amanda Anisimova today she has not said that but I I do just wonder and I really felt for her you know in that situation same court same opponent um, but her father's no longer no longer with us, um, or no longer with her. Um, and yeah, I, how, how could that not have been something that was on her mind? Um, so yeah, yeah I th- well, it's, it's, certainly, I feel like you you always have to just bear in mind that it's very easy for us to make comments about people's performances, and you, you, we don't know what's going on in their mind or in their lives or, or how they're feeling, and and I, yeah, we we do try to 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 be just at least alive, wise to that, you know. Mm. She Halep now plays Iga Swiatek. Uh, Swiatek clacks an alert. Alert. She is happening in a very very big way. Now I know she was one of Halep's victims at the French Open last year before she fell to Anisimova, and I think that was a very very one sided match. I would be very surprised. I'm obviously predicting Halep will win that, but I'd be very surprised if it were a similar kind of scoreline because Shontek is 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 the deal now. Why? She's... What? Why? Why is she doing what she's doing? What's special about her? Because um, I've seen her play a bit, but I think you two have probably seen her more than I have. Well, I've always thought of her as a player with really good variety in her game and on-court intelligence. But I think what I'm finding this tournament is she's actually got a lot of power to go with that as well. And she is she's hitting opponents off the court. I thought she's a very good interview and she really reveals the kind of tactics and the matchup and the reasons why she thought she was able to beat, well, it was uh, Eugenie Bouchard today for the last of just five games. And, and she just said that she just gave me rhythm and I really enjoyed that <laughs> rhythm. And I was, I was kind of able to use the court as my canvas in a way and just do, do whatever I wanted to do out there. Now, that won't be quite the same against Halep. She will get rhythm, but I think, as we've talked about, Halep has ways of counteracting her opponent's strengths with, with just how good she is. But, you know, this is the... Th- third time now that Sviantec's reached the ra- uh, round four of a slam and she's still a teenager. These are, wow. these are really good, consistent results and she, and, and she peaks at the slams. Her, her best results have all come at the slams and I think, she's, I think she's a kind of big match player. Now, that obviously doesn't go with the loss she took to Halep last year, which, as you said, it was only 45 minutes, I think. It was, it was a really difficult one. She just said she was so stressed before that match. But I think she'll be someone who has learned from that and will be able to deal with the experience better. And she's beaten a variety of opponents from Drusheva, Shea and Bouchard now is, you know, all quite different. So I just think she's on a, on a tremendously upward trajectory and I think she'll perform a lot, lot better than she did last year. But I agree. I, I still think Halep will be just a little bit too good, but I think Sviantec will, will kind of show everyone what she's about in that match. Uh, Kiki Burton's was a winner today, 6-2, 6-2 over Katerina Siniakova. I didn't see that match. I'm sure Sara Rani was watching it somewhere seething uh, and uh, <laughs> viewing her m- impressive performance as evidence that she definitely was faking two days ago. Um, I've never had full body cramps to the extent that Kiki Kiki Burton's did a couple of days ago, but my experience of cramps is that it's very much acute in the moment, but provided you rehydrate and everything, there's not any lasting effects. So I just say, well done, Kiki Burton's for that one. Yeah. By the way, you know, at the moment, there are only two matches left on the court and one of them has just been won by Diego Schwartzman. The other one is Maria Sakkari. And listen to this scoreline. 
Uh, 6-1, first set, she won. Second set won 7-6 by, is it Martina Trevisan? Trevisan, I think, Trevisan. Yes. Certainly we're Tre- committing to Trevisan. We've made a commitment to Trevisan. And Trevisan has a, a game point for a 4-1 lead in the decider. So I don't know whether, I guess there could have even been match points in that. I don't, I don't know. And I was, I'm, I'm going to go on Trevisan because obviously I don't, well, it's unlikely we'll get the result of that in this podcast, but she is a breakup serving for a 4-1 lead. So I'm going to assume she's winning it. And even if she doesn't win that, I think her story is worthy of telling. I read a, a piece by Molly McKelvey in uh, Telegraph um, Women's Sport or Telegraph Sport um, a couple of days ago about Trevisan. And I would, I would advise you just to go and read the article because it's really interesting. She's, I think she's 26 um, this yeah. is her first time in the third round of a slam and she reached the f- fourth round. I mean, we all saw her celebrations a couple of days ago, didn't we? It was extraordinary. So I'm going to try and tune in if she does win this one because I think it could was be... Was that against Goff? Yeah, I mm. think it could be a pretty epic celebration. Um, but 10 years ago, mm. she suffered very, very badly with anorexia um, and she, she wrote a first-person piece for um, an athlete blog called The Owl Post... Um, earlier this year talking incredibly openly about it which is almost unheard of in my experience with female athletes and um, I think that's incredibly brave and incredibly groundbreaking I I dabble in some work in figure skating and used to at my own very modest level uh, be a figure skater and and eating disorders is such a huge issue in that sport and and nobody's talking about it um well actually there there is just starting to be a couple of people talking about it but it is you know it is still groundbreaking and it's it's so interesting and kind of inspirational to hear her talk about she almost gave up tennis her her father was diagnosed with a degenerative illness. She was rebelling against her her mother. She's just an incredible human interest story. Um, and I kind of want to wrap up the podcast so I can make sure I'm watching for her celebrations if she does win that match because could be really, really epic. And Zachary, that's that would be a heck of a win if she does back up the yeah. golf win and beat beat Zachary. From a 6-1 first set deficit and to win the second set on a tie break. I mean, what a competitor. And the fact that she went toe-to-toe with Goff, and I saw quite a bit at the end of that match. I mean, we know what a competitor Goff is. That really is something. And, and I, I, I do – that's what I love about this tournament. I mean, there are, there, there are some stats around, aren't there, about the number of lower-ranked players that are, that are getting far in this tournament. And we were trying to work out on the radio today – what that might be because of, and and whether lockdown has been part of that, and uh, and or, and and the number of players that maybe didn't go to the hard courts in America, but some of these stories, some of these people that are coming to our attention, maybe they'll never do anything else that what that ends up being discussed on a tennis podcast at a Grand Slam, but. I'm absolutely lapping it up, loving just hearing about these people and, and their personal triumphs. And that is, that's the strongest of the lot, really. Mm, yeah, I would urge you to, to re- urge you to read, read that piece. It's really interesting. And also her, her blog on, on the Owl Post. It's going to be very disappointing <laughs> if she does go on to lose that match, uh, both for her and for uh, the tennis podcast. But she looks in, I- I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good about it. Oh, I feel like she's going to do it. And I've jinxed her. Do you want um, me to say she's got no chance and then she'll be all right? Yes, David. <laughs> okay. That's what I was hoping for. Zachary's um, got 30 love. I can't see it. On her own serve or on the... What, Zachary's serve? 30 love up at 1-4 down. Okay. I'm so still... The comeback's I'm, on. I'm still with her. I'm still with her. Uh, tomorrow's order of play. Uh, Chatre starts with Daniel Altmaier. I'm going with it. Daniel Altmaier <laughs> against Matteo Berrettini. Um, what is I Barra's first name? Eager? It's a real um, problem with the website, folks. Yes. <laughs> um, Barra against uh, Sophia Kennan. Uh, and when you click on that match and you get through to another page, which only shows their initial, she seems to be an absolute dead ringer for Sophia Kennan. So I hope they haven't Irina. got the... Irina. Irina, that's Irina the one. Irina Barra. 
and she are, is... Are you looking at the picture of her on the Roland Garros website? Yeah, she's... Because it looks like Sophia Kennan. It really does. <laughs> Have they got the wrong... No. I don't know, but I hope they haven't got the same kit sponsor, because that... 142... Oh, my goodness. They're, they're side by side. They really do look alike. Yeah. 142 in the world. Uh, 1995, she was born, so she's 25. Isn't um, that a Matt Roberts vintage? No, you're ninety six. Sorry, and she's five <laughs> foot five, right handed. Um, so and that is all any of us know about her. <laughs> uh, John, I'll tell you some Daniel Altmaier stuff. I mean, look at this. This is great. What was the, what was the one I've just said? How, what ranking was she? Uh, Arena Barra is one hundred forty two. Daniel Altmaier is one hundred eighty six in the world, and he's just turned twenty two, six foot three, right handed. And he's playing Matteo Berrettini. David These Law people. reads bios from websites. I just that love it. It's I mean, a new look, podcast waiting to happen. I know there are some there are some people who who listen to me reading these people out and saying, "Well, you work in tennis full time. How can you not know who these people are?" Look, there's so many players, and I don't I don't literally spend every second I've got looking up the player guide and and the website, but. I really love it when they come to attention like this and they've just they've just done it themselves. Are you going to be predicting a Fiona Farrow win tomorrow? Mm. In fact, I'm not sure if you're allowed to because it, I don't think her beating Patricia Maria Thieg would be an upset. So I'm not Doesn't sure matter, we'll let you have that. I just let the tennis podcast multiply out do its stuff and if i right, don't get okay. many points so so be it look okay. today today catherine i went for the massive outsider and i got mocked by you when it didn't happen on <laughs> on on whatsapp so maybe yeah. i'm just going to go for novak Djokovic to to get a nice win over daniel gallan and get myself two points you you quite literally can't win david <laughs> <laughs> yes Djokovic against galan anyone going for galan no okay moving on daniel um, galan by the way uh, i think we do we better just uh say who he read is. out his bio from yeah, the website go for it right. david that's what, who's still listening anyone still he's, listening he's from Colombia, and he is 24 years old six foot three 153 in the world and he beat cameron nori in the second round first round first yeah. round and that, yeah, first round. And then he beats, I think he's the one who beat Tennis Sangre. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I knew somebody had. <laughs> you keep bringing that up as if beating Tennis Sangre on clay is a big. Well, I, I big, thought, big think moment. Tennis Sangren's, you know, ripped himself into good shape. And I kind of think he would take a bit of Have beating. Have we seen post lockdown Tennis Sangren? Yeah, I think he's been putting is it, it He's in still, still ripped, is he? Yeah. He's coached by yeah. Michael Russell, who's really oh, okay. into the gym. Sometimes so. very all or nothing. People, you know, you can do a Thomas Muster and swing the other way. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I've done tennis angle in a disservice by even suggesting it clearly. Uh, Long Lens starts with Bautista Rugut against Karenia Buster, the commentator's dream. And then it's Aniash Bednay against Stefanos Tsitsipas, Petra Kvitova against Leila Fernandez. I'm quite up for that one. And then mm. Daniel Collins against Garbini Muguruza. Those are probably the two matches tomorrow that I'm, yeah. I'm most interested in. All lefty um, battle, and then uh, I, there's going to be some attitude in Collins <laughs> Magruther, isn't there? Yeah, I'm here for attitude, very much so. <laughs> uh, Anderson Rublev on Mathieu. Uh, Clara Burrell against Zhang yes. Shui. <laughs> yeah, uh, Roberto Oh, you interrupted three, my 357 in the world, sorry. <laughs> 357 in the world. And they haven't even got a height, a weight, or a handed. <laughs> we don't know what ra- what hand she's going to hold her racket she, in. She is 19, I know that. That's all I know. Right, okay. Well, tune in. She's second on Simone Mathieu for the big reveal about what hand she plays with. Uh, Roberto Caballas <laughs> Baena against Grigor Dimitrov. And then it's Paula Bedosa against definitely going to win the tournament, Yelena Ostapenko. Uh, Sabalenka Jabir, I'm definitely here for that one. That's on court 14, second up after some doubles. Garin and Hatchinov, Petra Martic, Laura Siegmund, Fuchovic, Montero. What, what, what are you picking, David? Well, I, I also note that on court 12, Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski are in the doubles against Gurunoyas and Zabayas. And I just wanted to reference Jamie Murray's fantastic little uh, 
I don't know whether it was a celebration or it was just a, 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 an effort to get himself pumped up. Yeah, uh, what I, was it? I've never I mean, seen him do that before. Was, was it the, the, ironic? Was it for, for what? A, well, the story was, and and I got this firsthand from his mum, who was commentating with today. I mean, and and the look on her face, she said, honestly. I've never seen him doing anything like that before in my whole life. She says he is the most placid, <laughs> unconfrontational person she knows. And he just, I don't want to say he lost it. He just, the, 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 one of the opponents was a French player who kept on shouting, Allez le bleu. And, <laughs> oh, and that it just, is irritating. It just pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. And then he just suddenly felt he needed to just let it out. And he just started going, Allez le bomb! Allez le bomb! <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, it's quite something. To, if you think David's potentially exaggerating, just check out the Instagram post. It's he did really it about six times. It's superb. Anyway, he's playing doubles tomorrow. It's another so. marker of how weird 2020 is, I yeah. would say. <laughs> Jamie Murray's turned into like Danielle Collins. <laughs> Jay Salisbury's um, playing as well in the doubles with Raji Ram. Uh, but I, I, to be honest, I think overall the matches that I most look forward to are the ones you just highlighted, really. The uh, the Kvitova Fernandez and Collins Magruther. And uh, Sabalenka Jabur maybe as well. And obviously I'll be looking at Ferro to see how yes. she gets on. Uh, we've had the news today via Stuart Fraser. I'm sure others were reporting it as well that uh, rumours and hopes of the WTA finals being able to happen outside of Shenzhen uh, are false or at least out of date or inaccurate. The WTA finals will not be happening. And that is from a, an official WTA spokeswoman. Uh, we, we don't know that there wasn't any word on whether further WTA tour events will be announced uh, for post-French Open, but certainly the WTA finals won't be happening, um, which is a great shame. Uh, we'd all we all had two days of getting our hopes up about a WTA finals in Prague, and yeah. and that hope has died. Um, and we've also had the news today, just to end on a totally bum note. That I mean, obviously, kind of the world over, or certainly Europe over, things are things are going in the wrong direction covid wise and there's some more evidence of that in in paris and in france today and there has been the announcement that further lockdown measures measures are going to come into force um at the start of next week i think the is that right the the full closure of pubs and pubs and restaurants um, that's what we're expecting week. to announce mm. yeah um and yeah. uh talking to russell on the ground there i mean yeah, he he was <laughs> quite chastened by that because um, you know he, there, there there's not much company out there for him at, at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, you just wonder whether it will have any sort of knock-on effects for for the event and its one thousand spectators. But um, let's hope not. Mm, Five two, by the way, for Trevi Trevisan. It's so sad to think of the French Open happening without the without the fans being able to call in at a you know. The pavement cafe on the way home. Ugh. Ugh. We'll enjoy it more when it comes back, won't we? At least we get to do this, eh? Yeah. Can we finish on a on a slightly happier note? Yes, please, one, Matt. <laughs> please. One other thing that happened today. I did not watch this to not be able to talk about it. The longest ever tie break in um Roland Garros history, which was between Taylor Fritz and Lorenzo Sonego. It went on for over half an hour. No. There were <laughs> yeah, there were there were thirty six points in total, and it was won by Sonego nineteen seventeen. He he saved seven set points from Fritz, and finally converted his seventh match point. And um, it just kind of got me thinking that these really these really epic matches in empty stadiums. There's something cruel about <laughs> them because the players are going through so much stress. But normally, when there's a crowd there, there's at least some people getting some kind of enjoyment out of it. You're very aware that it's an entertainment product. When you strip the crowd away, you've just got two very, very stressed people. <laughs> and it becomes almost cruel and intrusive that we're watching it. I remember feeling like that during the Sitsipas Church match at the US Open. And it just becomes all the more intense. And um, yeah, I, I kind of felt for both players going through that. And yet it was 
you know, as a as a removed spectator, someone watching it on on TV, it was very very exciting. Cruel and unusual punishment was your uplifting note to end on. That was it. <laughs> Great, thanks for that. <laughs> um, shall I end on Cam? That'll that'll oh. that'll bring things up a bit. Cam. Uh, well, rather, Steve, uh, with the very significant contribution of Cam, has sent us a new video about Cam. Oh, has he? I haven't yes. seen that yet. Have you not watched it? No, I'm doing that after this. Don't don't watch it in a weak moment, I would say. I mean, it's lovely, Prepare it's heartwarming, yourself. but it's also, you know, devastating. Um, I love that, you know, we asked for Cam content, and you, uh, over the course of the year with our mascots, the bar has been Blooming high for content. I mean, we started the year with Crumble and Crumble's, uh, you know, Australian Open themed photo shoot. You know, Crumble, Crumble with a kangaroo, Crumble with an Australian flag, <laughs> and then we had we had Butler in the Grig, actual Grigor Dimitrov uh, tracksuit. Um, <laughs> you know, the bar has been incredibly high. Gerald, you know, did some champagne and Pim's sampling during <laughs> during Wimbledon. It's all been amazing, and yet still. Um, Steve and Cam have managed to to bring something very new and wonderful to the party. So we'll we'll pop that video in the show notes, and uh, it's well worth your time. And uh, we hope that Cam is in, enjoying hearing his mentions on the tennis podcast. And thank you, Cam, for providing an uplifting way <laughs> to finish this podcast after I drove us down a very downbeat cul-de-sac towards uh, the end of the show. So uh, I hope you're enjoying them uh, and uh, we'll be back for another one tomorrow. We'll see you then. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 